Ah, well, hello there. What a glorious Monday it is, isn't it? Ah, I am so glad that you've decided to come and spend some time with us for daily devotions here through Redeeming Life Fellowship. And uh, today we're going to continue through our journey almost to the very end of 1 Corinthians in a matter of a few days, but we'll get to there eventually. But if we haven't met before, I'm Dan, I'm a teaching pastor here, and I'm excited that you've taken the time to join us in this very, very fascinating uh, chapter, or rather section, where we're going to be in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 34, so approximately half of the chapter. And I'll tell you, a passage like this, there is so much that we're going to have to sacrifice to brevity that it would be uh, wonderful. I, I would find it uh, immensely interesting and beneficial uh, to be able to unpack a passage like this in much greater length because it has in it uh, so many, so much value to it uh, not simply with regards to uh, what you would say like eschatology, uh, that is uh, a study of last things. Where is, um, according to Christianity, where is it that we're going? Um, what is it that we're actually hoping for um, in the very end? 1 Corinthians 15 has a lot to say about that. Uh, and also, uh, it, uh, indeed, uh, 1 Corinthians in general and also up to 15, has a lot to say about what uh, we as Christians should think about our human physical bodies. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 addresses something like that and is indeed wanting to be instructive about how it is that we're supposed to be thinking about our bodies, um, which is actually probably at odds with the the a lot of common understanding that would have been contemporary for the time of the Corinthians that uh, thinks about, um, and this is uh, um, a very rough and ready uh, paraphrase, paraphrase uh, an oversimplification to the oomph degree. It's a common way of thinking, and it's probably some strands of thought that are going through maybe some of the people uh, among the, the Corinthian church, but I digress. Uh, that's this, that it thinks about the, the, the human person with this kind of this di dichotomy between the physical body and its soul or its spirit, that thinks of them as separate entities, that somehow that the body is like a prison for the soul, and that if the, the body perishes, then the soul is sort of liberated into the ether and uh, can be uh, freed. Uh, from its bondage in this in this physical body, and uh, there would be, or as it appears to be, in a passage like this, um, that uh, that there are some from within the the members of the, the the Corinthian church who are arguing that there is no resurrection from the dead, that. This physical body, once it dies, it does not come back and isn't coming back. And is, is, it's, it's going to, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, going to go away. And the soul will, will, will continue on, but the body is not going to. Uh, this prison for the soul is going to be done away with once and for all. But there's some people within the church that are teaching that, that believe that. And this poses a... Uh, 
a theological and very practical problem that those who are teaching this stuff don't actually realize the implications if they're drawn out, what that all entails and how that um, actually uh, destroys the Christian faith from its roots, from, from its foundation. Uh, it cuts it off from its roots. That if there's no resurrection from the dead, then this whole thing is a joke. Uh, that's the thing that he would be saying. But then lastly, uh, for historical purposes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is among the most valuable with regards to constructing a historical argument for evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what we have in 1 Corinthians is an account with reference to eyewitnesses, most of whom are still alive, that who would say, look, the resurrection of Jesus, this isn't something that we're, we're, we're proclaiming that um, is just an ordinary phenomenon. Like, asking somebody to believe in the resurrection of the dead is not an easy ask. And yet, uh, Paul is arguing from a defense of history that can be corroborated by eyewitness accounts that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened and that for any within the Corinthian church who doubts such a thing, Paul can redirect them and say, look, if you're having a problem with this, I'll take you to the eyewitness accounts. I'll take you and show you. You can talk to them. Most of these people are still alive. Um, the eyewitnesses who were there to see this thing with their own eyes and experience it and will testify that, that this thing isn't just, isn't just codgled up through mass hysteria, uh, but that the issue of the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is not just a matter of superstition or religious fervor, but a matter of history. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is invaluable for those types of purposes. And so, again, it would be so fun to just take this apart piece by piece and to, to see all what's going on beneath the surface of 1 Corinthians 15. And for good measure, there happens to be this, some obscure reference that Paul makes to baptism for the dead, which, frankly, I don't know what he's talking about. There's no other extra biblical references and even uh, maybe supra historical, uh, uh, excuse me, um, extra biblical evidence that give us any kind of indications to what it is that Paul is talking about. So it's safe to say, I really don't know what, it, what he means by baptism for the dead, but that's a whole other matter. Thankfully, that's not an issue that's going to affect us today in daily devotions. So with this in mind, let's just read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 34, and hear what Paul has to say about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. So, are you with me? Let's go. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. He says this, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you take your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Mind you, the expression, those have fallen asleep, is a figure of speech that's referring to death. So that he's saying, um, most of whom are living, even though there are some by this point, uh, some eyewitnesses by this point who have died. Uh, so we can't consult them, but you can consult the ones who are still alive. It says this, then uh, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. In short, something that Paul wants us to be able to hear is that sometimes we might think, you know, even if Christianity isn't true, even if it's not a matter of history, it still affords some other benefits, right? That uh, even if it's not true, I can see in what ways that it's beneficial and useful and I can hold on to it, that, that, that there's still good to glean from, from the Christian faith, even if it's not true. Paul will have none of it, where he says, if this thing isn't true, then what the apostles go through, what they endure, and what uh, the, the, the Christians suffer for the name of Jesus. Um, all of this, it, it's, if it's not true, then these Christians, they're pitiful. Uh, there's so much else that they could be doing with their time or their energy um, than to be spending it on something that doesn't matter because it's not true. That's where Paul stands. And now, here's one of the very interesting bits that, uh, frankly, probably presents, I think, maybe some challenges to the way that a lot of us are accustomed to thinking about life after death, heaven or hell. And uh, I want us to listen carefully to what Paul has to say about this, uh, about the resurrection of the dead. Verse 20. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything is put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. But when he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. For all the things that we want to glean from a passage like that, it's important to recognize that when Paul refers to the Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, what that means is that the same thing that has happened as a matter of history and historical phenomena, that Jesus' physical body was raised from the dead, um, that the same thing that was accomplished through that resurrected body of Christ is the same thing that God intends to accomplish in us. That this is some of the strongest evidence that we have that what Paul expects um, in life after death actually involves a physical resurrection. Uh, that God is going to, however he can, he is omnipotent, there's nothing beyond him, that this life after death, uh, however it is that we're to be able to understand it, um, whether that includes an intermediate state or whether it doesn't, is really immaterial as far as Paul is concerned here. And he'll get to that in the next uh, second half of chapter 15, that Paul's hope for a physical resurrection for everybody is rooted, it has uh, substance to it because it's a matter of history about what Christ, what God has done in Christ by raising his body from the dead. Uh, and that that's the sort of thing that is that fills our, our hope that death, our physical death, isn't the end. Um, that in Christ... Life after death is more than just wishful thinking, uh, but that there's a living hope to life after death because of the one who conquered death through his own resurrection, and that's Jesus. Um, and I'll say this much, and then we'll finish the rest of the chapter. I don't want my hope after death to be more than just happy, wishful thinking and just hoping for the best. But in here, Paul wants to reassure for the first Corinthians that there is a foundation, good reason to believe and to have hope for what God is going to do. And if it's happened through Christ and it's a matter of history, we can believe that he's going to be able to do it for us. So, Let's finish this. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? I don't know. 
And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now, of course, tomorrow, Pastor Jesse will be leading us into the nature of a resurrected body, um, as he's about to unpack uh, in the rest of chapter 15. But uh, with this in mind, uh, thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions. Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcasts. And I also encourage you to come and be a part of what God is doing here in Whitley County and in Huntington County and, uh, and just in the lives that God is bringing across our paths that, um, that he is using in order to be able to um, bring about lasting, real change. Indeed, whenever the gospel goes to seed and it brings fruit in people's lives, the change is real and it's unmistakable. And that's what God is doing in our midst. And we want you to be a part of it. So God bless you. Take care. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next time. See ya.